It was about eight years ago to the day I was in a hospital uh, visiting a family in our church in Florida, and uh, I, I got the news that one of the middle school football players had just been electrocuted by lightning. Of course, panic immediately sets in to me as I leave the room and head to my car and, and start driving towards the school, begging and pleading with God that it's not my son, Chase. And as I arrived to the school and, and, and pull up, as you can probably imagine, it, it, was, it was crazy because, you know, People were crying, people were screaming, the, 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 you know, the ambulance uh, was, you know, were showing up, the fire engines were there, the police were there, newscasters were there. I mean, there was just all kinds of craziness that was going on in that moment. And as, and as I approach, I'm, I'm, I'm preparing myself for the worst, but I'm hoping for the best, and I'm hoping that God has answered my prayer but the reality is, if he answered my prayer, there's probably another set of parents that were praying that their prayer is not gonna be answered. See, what happened was about an hour or so earlier, uh, the boys were getting ready to head out to the football field for practice. And Chase was uh, the captain, he was a quarterback, and he was, his responsibility was to always take the ball bag out to the practice field. And so he and Jesse were heading out to the football field, and, and uh, every single day, every single day, Chase never forgets the football bag, always remembers it, never forgets it, except for that day. He told Jesse, he said, Jesse, go ahead and go ahead out. I forgot the ball bag. I got to run back and go grab it. I'll meet you out there on the field. And so Chase goes back in, gets the ball bag, is heading out towards the football field. And about 50 to 100 yards away as he's approaching the football field, Jesse's already out there. And all of a sudden, out of the blue, a lightning bolt comes down, hits him, pulls him literally up off the ground and back down. Players are stunned. Coaches are stunned, trying to run to his aid, trying to care for him the best that they can, calling 911, getting the ambulances there, trying to keep him alive. They take him to the hospital where me and many others are just praying, trying to console traumatic students that saw this, trying to care for the coaches that are beside themselves, trying to you know, uh, care for the parents that, are, as you can imagine, as a parent would just be absolutely stunned and again, praying, begging. And again, you're going, God, this is a great opportunity for you to show up and heal. I mean, can you imagine? This, this ended up getting national press coverage. Can you imagine the storylines, God, that would bring you so much more glory if you answer the prayers that we're praying, God, would you please heal and save Jesse's life? And for days, we would pray and we would pray and we would pray. And then five days later, right before I was getting ready to go up and preach, I got the news. Jesse had passed away. See, his parents had started to come to our church, and then they started coming to our small group and trying to help them navigate the why. Why would God do this? Why would God allow this? Why wouldn't he save them? 
See, and it's in these moments, it's in these moments when we're trying to accurately interpret the stuff of life, and since we are so bad at accurately interpreting life's circumstances, this is where our faith gets shattered. This is where our faith gets uprooted because we're trying to determine and we're trying to accurately understand God and everything else that when we take it upon ourselves because we don't have an eternal perspective. We, don't, we can't see down through the corridors of time of like how this could possibly work out for good. And so when we're left to our own ability to accurately interpret this stuff, we're left with a faith that if we don't ground it in the person of Jesus, if we don't ground it in the person who is the author and finisher of our faith, if we don't ground our faith, as we've said, and that God is who he says he is and that he will do all that he's promised he will do, if it's in anything else other than that, our faith is gonna get uprooted. But when our faith is grounded in him, we can have faith that he will always keep his promise. If it's not a promise, we can have hope. And we can pray and we can take those things to the Lord and we can beg and we can plead and we can ask and we can hope. But if it's a promise from God, then we can have faith that he will do what he has promised he will do. And there are times when we pray when there's not a promise and sometimes God says yes. Sometimes God says later, and sometimes God says no. And the thing that we struggle with is what do we do when God says no? If you have your Bibles, open up with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And I wanna, we've been in this series now for a few weeks, and, and again, if you're new, we're so glad that you're here. Uh, we appreciate you coming. Just so you know, I've had this conversation. If if the amount of people in this room is uncomfortable, our 11.30 service, you, there's room in there, you can come if this, if this uh, but we're glad that you're here. We're glad that you're listening online. We hope that you'll keep coming back. Uh, these next few weeks, we're gonna be diving in uh, to some of the real, what they might call problem passages where people really get tripped up. And I hope that you'll keep coming back as we dig into this stuff. But this morning, I'm excited because we're gonna talk about how, you know, how in the world could a guy in scripture, uh, you know, who had great faith. He had an unbelievable commitment, this incredible commitment to Christ. And when he asked God to do something, God says no to him. I mean, think about it. It's this guy named the Apostle Paul. Some of you might've heard of him. He used to be called Saul before he became a believer. See, before Saul, uh, I mean, before uh, Paul became who we probably know him to be, this great apostle who wrote a good chunk of the New Testament, uh, before he became a follower of Jesus, he was very popular. He was incredibly popular. He was, he was well-known, he was respected, he was high up in the leadership. The Jewish community really adored Paul. He was well-known even by the leadership of Rome. Before he, he was a follower of Jesus, he would have been most likely pretty wealthy because, again, because of the hierarchy that he was in in leadership. And also before he became a disciple of Jesus, he was well-known for his intellect. He was well-known for his teaching ability. He was well-known for his leadership before Jesus. But see, after, after Paul became a follower of Jesus, all of a sudden, he lost all his friends. See, the Jewish community didn't want anything to do with him anymore, and the Christian community was so scared of him because he was well-known for persecuting Christians, for persecuting the church. 
And so now Paul is now, has been spending most of his life now alone without probably many friends. And this again, this man, Paul, made the supreme sacrifice for the sake of Jesus. Paul was a man who, who was sold out. If you were to talk to people about a man of great faith, a man who had incredible commitment, who paid the highest price to follow Jesus, it would be Paul. And yet, God still told Paul no. I mean, think about it. If anybody was gonna get their prayers answered, you'd think it'd be Paul. But yet, God said no. See, Paul had a problem. He had this situation, if you will. He, he had this thing that he, would, he took to the Lord and asked him to take care of, and then there's no response. And he goes back to the Lord and says, Lord, would you please remove this? And again, no response. And so the scriptures tell us that he goes back a third time and God tells him, no. But Paul, I do have a promise that you can cling to. Let's follow, let's look at this. Second Corinthians chapter 12, we're gonna start in verse seven. He says, so to keep me, this is Paul speaking, so to keep me from becoming conceited or prideful because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me, was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. See, the apostle Paul is saying, I know why God is allowing this to happen. Now, there's many times we don't understand. We don't know why. We won't find out sometimes in our lifetime. But Paul's saying, listen, I know why. He's saying, in other words, Paul was so gifted, so talented. He was, been, God was revealing these different revelations to him that he had great potential to be prideful and conceited in his own giftedness and the revelations that God was giving him. It would have been, in other words, he's saying, it would have been easy for me to have been conceited. So in order to keep Paul humble, God had given Paul something that was so devastating, that was so overwhelming, that was so constant that it served the purpose of keeping Paul from being prideful. So let me ask you a question. <laughs> what would have to happen, excuse me, what would have to happen to you in order to keep you from being prideful? I just want you to think about it. Like what would have to happen in your life that would absolutely ensure that you wouldn't become prideful? Like that's not a conversation I really wanna have, right? Because in order for God to do what he wants to do, pride has to get out of the way, and man, is that painful. See, no matter who you knew or know, no matter what you know, no matter how intelligent, no matter how gifted, no matter what you've accomplished, when all is said and done, what would it take to make sure that there wasn't gonna be any Pride. See, that's the nature of this thorn in the flesh that the apostle Paul was living with. It says, it says in this passage that it harassed him. Some, some of your versions might say torment. See, in the Greek, it literally means, it, it means to strike with a fist. That's what that word literally means. It means to mistreat. So this was a constant source of irritation. This was a constant ongoing pain for Paul. 
And it seems like every single preacher that's ever preached probably this passage is always kind of speculating on what it could be. And I've heard all kinds. Of, you know, I've heard it could, be, it could have been malaria. It could be bowel issues. It could be eye problem. One guy even said it might have been a wife, you know, whatever. We're not going to get into that. But they, he just they, people would go on and on and on about speculating about what it might be. But here's what we know from Scripture. In 2 Corinthians 10.10, 10, Paul uses a word to describe himself. He actually uses a word that we translate in the English as feeble or weak. It's the context of unimpressive. See, in the Greek culture, when you're talking about being unimpressive, it was, it was this idea of you had physical problems. In other words, the whole bottom line was he was not probably physically well. He probably you know, just struggled with being healthy. So I imagine that this thorn in the flesh as Paul's talking about is probably some physical affliction that God allowed Satan to afflict Paul with just like he did with Job. And some of, the, some of those physical ailments were there purely for the reason to help Paul not become prideful so that he could accomplish the purposes and plans of God. So Paul goes on, he says, three times I pleaded. This literally means crying out, plead, begging for someone for aid. He goes, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, here it is, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. In other words, God is saying, Paul, I'm not gonna remove your thorn, but I promise but I promise that I, by grace, I'm promised, and we talked last week about mercy and grace. Grace is this undeserved favor, this undeserved strength, this power. You know, Paul, I promise I'm going to give you grace, strength, power to endure the thorn, this affliction. I'm gonna give you strength and power to continue on in the ministry that I've given you, but I'm not going to remove the thorn. And God wanted Paul, just like he wants you and he wants me to understand that there are times that no matter how much you have faith, no matter how much we pray, no matter how much we fast, no matter how great of a commitment that you have, and no matter how long you want to pray, the answer still might be no. And Paul, he's saying, I'm not gonna remove the thorn, but here's my promise. My grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. In fact, I, I want you to say it out loud with me because I, I, sometimes we need to hear ourselves say it. I mean, here's what I want you to say. My gra your grace is sufficient for me. So let's say it together. Your grace is sufficient for me. See, you gotta believe that. Because it's a promise, you, you can have faith that no matter what you're going through, his grace is sufficient for me. Remember we said last week, his promise, he's saying, listen, I'm not going to deliver you from that circumstance, Paul, but my promise is I will deliver you through that circumstance. And the way I'm gonna do it is through grace, through mercy and grace. And the grace, my grace, Paul, my grace, you fill in your name, is sufficient 
for you. Now look at Paul's attitude, it changes. Look at this, verse nine, he says, therefore, based upon the fact that his grace is sufficient, therefore I will boast all the more gladly, check this out, of my weaknesses. Why? So that the power of Christ may rest upon me. See, all of a sudden there's this heart attitude change. He said, here's this, here's this thorn, here's this thing, whatever, whatever it might be, that he's begging, that he's pleading, asking God to remove. God says no, but he says, but my grace is sufficient for you, Paul. And Paul's conclusion is, that's enough. Like, I really, I really want the thorn gone. Like, I really want this affliction gone. I don't enjoy it. It's incredibly painful. But Lord, if you say your grace is sufficient, then I've got to trust you at your word, like that your power, that your strength is enough. And just for me, on just on the outside, as I would, I was, if I were to sit down with Paul and I'd say, Paul, how can you go from pleading and begging God to remove this thing to then understanding that you're now going to boast in it? I mean, that just doesn't even make sense. How in the world could you do that? And he'd probably say, here's how. Now that I see that what I thought was bad is now good, that, that God's power, that God's might, that, that God's going to demonstrate his power and his glory through my life, but it's not gonna come through the areas of strength. It's gonna come through my weakness. Like if the end goal is for God to get the glory, like if the end goal is to really worship him and magnify him and praise him and uplift, like if that's the end goal, then God, you do whatever you need to do. And I'll boast of my weakness if that gives you more glory. See, the problem is, I'm just gonna be honest here. The problem is we struggle not being the main character in the story. God's the main character. This is his story that we're a part of. And our job is to give him glory, is to give him credit, is to give him honor, is to give him worship. And Paul is, is recognizing, is, is he's saying, listen, I, I've, I've given up my right. This is what we need to understand. Like when you come to the cross, when you come to the cross and you receive Jesus as your savior of your life, and that moment there's a transfer. There's a transfer of your rights. There's a transfer of your dreams. There's a transfer, like you're taking, it's not, it's not fire insurance, it's not the get out of hell free card. Like it's, it's me kneeling at the cross of saying, Jesus, I'm receiving the full, the full, my debt has been paid. Like when I come to the cross and I receive salvation, you wipe my slate clean. And in that moment, I'm making a transfer. Like I don't, I don't live my life anymore. Like I choose to live the life that Jesus wants me to live. I gave up my right to dream my own dreams. Now I get to live out the dreams that God has for me. See, that's a significant transfer at the cross. But when we think God's responsibility is just to bless my dreams that I come up with, you're gonna be continuously frustrated and you're gonna be disheartened because you think, and I don't mean this to be mean, but you think it's really about you and God's job is to give you what you want. That's why we gotta keep preaching the gospel to ourselves. And I'm constantly reminded at the cross, I gave up my own rights to live my own life. I'm just a vessel. I'm just a conduit. I, I'm, just, 
I live and exist on this earth to purely accomplish the plans and purposes of God. That's it. Like, that's it. And I get to be married to an amazing woman. I get to have incredible kids and I, I get to have incredible grandkids and I get to do what I love to do as a pastor. And God's given me a blessing to be able to do those things in this area of the world. I mean, but if he didn't and my storyline was very different, he's no less good. See, Paul's heart attitude was, God, you show your power and you show your grace through me. And in my weakness, in my weakness, you're strong. And if my weakness serves you better, then I'll boast in that. You know why we struggle? We struggle with this in this country. You know why? Because we, we respect we admire strength. We don't, we don't respect weakness, right? You just think about it. We, we really look up to and respect physically strong athletes, pay them a ton of money. We really respect and admire financially strong companies. We'll invest in them. We really respect and admire Strong armies that protect our country and our world. Paul's saying, I'm going to boast in my weakness. It totally goes against what we normally, naturally uphold. He continues on. Verse 10, he says, for the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Isn't that unbelievable? I mean, that, that, that perspective, instead of Paul saying, I'm just gonna keep asking and begging and fasting and expecting God to give me what I want. You know what Paul did? This is what he did. Just, just go back to look at that passage. He says, listen, if, Lord, if, if, you're gonna, if you're gonna give me an answer and the answer is no, then God, I trust you. You didn't say I had to like it. Didn't have to say I'm gonna throw a party around the, the no, right? Because it takes, I think it takes more faith to endure God's no than it does to acquire a yes. See, when, I, when, when Paul is, 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 is hearing from the Lord, he's, he's looking at his weakness saying, if, you're, if you say your grace is sufficient, then I'm gonna hold you to your word. Then your grace has to be sufficient. Your strength, your power has to be sufficient, and I'll be content with the fact that in this moment, you've said no, but your promise that I can hold you to is your grace is sufficient for me. I wanna give you six quick things that I think that we learn that are lessons about our faith from this encounter with Paul. The first thing is this, and I'd encourage you to write these down. We have permission to ask God for anything. You have permission to ask God for anything. Paul wasn't hung up on, okay, is this God's will? Can I really pray this? You know, do I? No, no, no. He just, if you have a, if you have a request, if you have a desire, if you, if you have a need, if you, any of those things, you just, you just take it to the Lord 
and you ask and you ask and you ask. Scripture even gives us this illustration. I've talked about it before when, when there was a, a lady going before the judge and it was almost like she was annoying because she kept asking and asking and asking, right? You can go, you can go. You, it says pray without ceasing, Scripture tells us. Here's the deal. But when God answers, when God says yes or when God says no or when God says maybe later, be willing to accept his answer, not throw a tantrum, and understand that his grace will be sufficient for you. But you can take, you can take whatever it is to God. Don't hesitate to bring it to him. The second thing is God has permission to say no. God has permission to say no. We have permission to ask for anything and God has permission to say no. Listen to me, neither your faith nor your commitment to Christ is going to compel God to say yes every time. This is really important. Your faith, your commitment, your service record, right? Your giving records, like none of that stuff compels God to say yes every single time. You say, well, hold on a second. I can go back to certain passages where it says because of your faith, absolutely. But Paul was probably more faithful than anybody, had more faith and commitment than anybody, and God said no. Remember a person called Jesus in the garden? Lord, would you take this cup from me? Aren't you glad God said no? But see, what we focus on is we want yeses because we don't have eternal perspective on why when God says no to something, he's going to say yes to something better. See, your faith is not one of those magic buttons that you just push when you're praying to say, God, but look how faithful I've been. Look at how many years I've led small group. Look how much money I've given to your kingdom. Look how many mission trips I went on. Look at all these different things. God, you should, you owe me. And God's going, no, 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 no. I love you. And as any good father, I'm not gonna give my kids every single thing they want. I've got perspective that you don't have. I've got all of wisdom that you don't have. You're gonna have to trust me that when I say no, it's because I'm saying yes to something else that's much greater. The third thing is God always has a reason for saying no. The problem is we go through tough times and we don't understand the why. It's totally understandable. We, we, we go through these tough times and we don't understand the why and it's in these moments that will really expose whether or not you have faith or not. And I don't mean salvation. I'm talking about trusting in God and who he is and his promises. See, It is, so, it is so vitally important that when we hit the difficulties in our lives, that we're able to have the faith in who God is. See, if I genuinely believe that God is some angry tyrant or that God is just this big ATM machine, the Santa Claus that just gives me my wishes and my wants, that I'm not understanding who God really is. But when my faith is grounded in him, like I said earlier, it takes a strong faith to endure God's no, 
than it does to try to acquire a yes. But when he says no, it's because he's saying yes to something much better. Four, in God's value system, you're going to hate this one. In God's value system, character takes precedence over comfort. Character takes precedence over comfort. And again, I know that we can struggle because, again, if he was going to allow one of his greatest faithful servants to suffer for the sake of character, why do you think you would be let off the hook? If he allowed his own son, Jesus, to go to the extent of suffering that he did, why do you think that we're off the hook? See, it was so important to God that Paul remain humble and have the Christ-like character that he was willing to take Paul through because he knew the value. He was willing to allow him to suffer discomfort in order to build the Christ-like character that Paul needed in his life to endure and accomplish the plans and purposes of his life. See, I want to make sure you understand, not all difficulties, pain, and suffering comes from the Lord. I just want you to get that. There are some of that that we bring on ourselves. Like we make really foolish, selfish decisions, and then all of a sudden we're going through a hardship, and we think it's God, like we bring up the story of Job. And I'm like, no, 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 this has nothing to do with the story of Job. This has to come, you made some dumb decisions, right? I've done that, made some foolish, selfish decisions, and then I'm in pain, God, why are you allowing that to happen to me? And God's going, because you're stupid. No, he's he's going, because you made made an unwise decision. It was foolishness. And sometimes there are consequences to that. But when God's value system, character always takes the precedence over comfort. So don't don't be surprised when God chooses to build your comfort, excuse me, your character. Don't be surprised when God chooses to build your character at the expense of your comfort. Number five, God never promised to remove all the thorns of life. I wish he did, but he doesn't. God never promised to remove all the thorns of your life. See, this this passage actually implies that God's the one that gave Paul the thorn. It wasn't like, you know, there was a victory, the devil won. It was... Again, this is a part of God's plan for Paul. God never promised to remove those thorns. And so do you have permission to ask God to remove the thorns of your life? Absolutely. Does God have permission to say no? Absolutely. And then we can accept it. And God, we're gonna choose to give you the glory and we know that we can hold you to giving us the grace to endure it. The sixth and last thing is God's grace is sufficient for you. God's grace is sufficient for me. It's a promise. It's something you can actually hold God to, that his grace is sufficient. He's he's promised that he will give you his power and strength through times of difficulty. He's not promised to remove the difficulty or the weakness, but he's promised to demonstrate his power and his grace and his strength and his mercy to get you through the difficulty, through the weakness. In fact, if my point of weakness, I just want you to think about it. If your point of weakness is the best arena for God to demonstrate his power in your life, 
Would you allow them? If that's the best arena for God to show up and get the most glory, or are you resistant to that? Because it's discomfort, it's hard, it's painful. Let me just throw this out here for you to consider. If you struggle, if you struggle to see God working in your life, possibly, I'm not saying this is true, but possibly it could be true for you. Possibly it's because you're not allowing God to invade your weaknesses with his grace. Instead, you're trying to humanly compensate. You're trying, to, you're trying to figure out with your own human skill. You're trying to figure out with your own human intellect. You're trying to figure it out with your own talent. You're, you're trying to compensate for that weakness instead of allowing God to invade it. And the tragedy is, here's the tragedy. Not only is the weakness not gonna go away, but you miss out on an opportunity to experience the grace of God. You'll miss out on the experience of the grace of God. So if you wanna experience the grace of God, I'm gonna tell you, this is, this, this is where scripture helps us out. Here's how you do it. Your heart posture needs to be, God, not my will, but your will be done. You wanna experience the grace of God? You want it to be sufficient? Your heart posture, not my will, but your will be done. You see it in Jesus. When Jesus is in the garden and he's praying and he's giving his request to the Father and he says, but not my will, yours be done. Take this cup of suffering. Take this crucifixion. I don't, I don't want, right? Like, I don't want to have to go through that. If there's no other way, Lord, not my will, but yours. And in that moment, Jesus trusted the Father and his grace was sufficient. So you and I have to be willing to accept God's no. And it's hard. It's very hard. And in those moments when we have to take no for an answer and trust that God is who he says he is and that he will do all that he's promised to do, and I come with the heart posture of, Lord, not my will. In other words, not, not what I think is best. Lord, I really don't wanna have to have my weaknesses constantly exposed. But if not my will means if my weakness is your best arena to work in, then your will be done. You do what you do best. You manifest your power and your glory in and through my life. Because at the end of the day, I know that your grace will be sufficient. And I think in those moments, when we take that heart posture of saying, not my will, but your will be done, I think the Lord says, thank you. Because where you're weak, I'm gonna be really strong and I'm gonna show up in your life, and I'm gonna give you the grace and strength that you need, and I know you might not feel like it at times, but I'm gonna be present with you the whole way through, and I'm not in the business, check this out, I'm not in the business of making weak people strong. 
I'm in the business of pouring out my grace in and through your weakness. The question is, will you let them? Will you let them? And I know there's some of you here, and I'm going to close. I know there's some of you here that are, that are going through some difficulty, and I know there's some that are online that are really, really struggling, and you're hurting. Marriages, stuff going on with your kids, not being able to have kids, financial, job insecurities. Um, I, could, I could just go on list a whole bunch of other things that maybe you're going through, maybe you're struggling with, and, and again, it, it's, it's overwhelming for you. And it's oftentimes in these areas, we're praying for relief. Let's be honest. We're praying for relief. We're praying <laughs> for a new set of downs, if you will. We're praying for a do-over. And God says, Bob, I hear you, and I love you, but my answer is no. And it's not because I don't care. It's because I have something else that you don't realize yet, but here's what I will promise you. My grace will be sufficient for you. Will you let that be enough for you? Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. Lord, I know this is hard because we would really like some different answers because your grace and your power and your strength sounds really nice in here. But when we leave and we go back into our environments, whether it's home and we're really struggling with home life or maybe it's work or maybe it's health or maybe it's financial or whatever it might be, Lord, I underestimate the power of your grace in those moments. But now walking with you for so many years, my story, my testimony would be your grace is absolutely sufficient. And Lord, it's okay. Like we can bring these requests, we can bring all our desires to you and you hear us. And whether you give us a no or whether you give us a yes or whether you give us a hold on till later, Lord, let us so have confidence in you and what you do give us, your grace and your mercy, that will not allow our faith to be wrecked, but will cling to you even more. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your promises. And my hope and my prayer, even as we sing this song together, is that it will be a reminder that you have not forgotten us, you have not abandoned us, and that you will always give us what is best because your grace is sufficient. Lord, we love you, we thank you in Jesus' name, amen.